Pastor Xavier Reese illuminating the simple truth that Jesus was more than just a man. He is God. The mouth of the prophet Micah prophesies about the birth of the Messiah, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting, from the days of eternity. The testimony of John is that Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is, who was, and who is to come. A vivid description of his eternal existence. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Long before the angels announced the birth of a Savior to the shepherds in the fields, God had provided several revelations that we could expect the arrival of His Son upon the earth. In fact, Isaiah prophesies that not only a child is born, but more importantly, unto us a son is given. And today, as Pastor Xavier kicks off his series on the Gospel of John, he highlights how Jesus is presented as both deity and eternal. Here's Pastor Xavier. The Gospel of John is a unique and distinct gospel from the first three, so much so that Origen, the biblical scholar of the third century, characterized its value as the following, quote, the Gospels are the first fruits of all the Scriptures, but of the Gospel, that of John is the first fruits. It's an incredible Gospel. Every time I read it, I am amazed. And at the same time, I'm aware of its complexities and its depths. John's prologue, which is marked from chapter 1, verse 1 to 18, is equally amazing and in fact, it is not a mere introduction to the gospel, but a summary of its content of all that will follow. You could call it the nucleus of the very gospel. The opening five verses of John's prologue is the grand canyon of scriptures regarding the person of Jesus Christ, in my opinion. I mean, have you ever been to the grand canyon? It's whoa. It's overwhelming. And so are these five verses. These verses are so concentrated, so deep in their theological truths that it would take all of eternity to mine its riches. You will find out exactly how many words I'm going to have to tell you to explain just verse 1. And John did it in very few words by the anointing of the Spirit of God. The depths, incredible. The gospel, at the same time, is deep but simple. Intellectual but heart convicting. Complex enough to stump the greatest of theologian, yet easy enough for a child to understand. Now you try to write a book like that. The theme of the gospel is Jesus, the Son of God. The message of the gospel is salvation to all who will believe. The means to the gospel is grace through faith. And the gift of the gospel is forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. Now, Jesus is introduced by John by a title which Jesus never applied to himself and is unique of John's writings. The word is logos. 
Now, some pronounce it logos, other pronounce it logos. I don't know the right one. Take your pick. If you have one of those computer things with the voice on it, punch it in, it'll tell you exactly how it's pronounced. Okay? Some people call me Xavier, some people call me Savior, some people call me Xavier, some people call me Xavar. I don't really care. As long as you have a smile on your face, you can call me anything you want. <laughs> you find it here in verse 1. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. The term is unique of John. Verse 1 here, and when you go to verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, And the Logos, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You don't have to turn to the others. I'll just give them to you. In 1 John 1, 1, he speaks about that which we've seen, we've handled, we've heard as the Word of life, Logos. And then in Revelation 19, 13, he says, And His name is the Word of God, Logos of God. A unique term that John alone uses. Now, the word logos was used in different ways. The Greek word signifies reason or self-consciousness. And at times is used for word or speech as the expression of thought. The equivalent of the term logos was used in the Hebrew community by the expression, the word of the Lord. And the Hebrew word was mambra or debra. Now, in a theological sense, the targums or the Aramaic paraphrase of the Old Testament, where this term was used, were written centuries before, which existed in an oral form before committing them to written form. And it used that term as a substitute for the name of God in his communication to the world. Remember that the name of God was considered to be so holy, so beyond the worthiness of man, that when we looked at that, we saw that the scribes, when they transcribed the scriptures, when they came to the name of God, they would change pens, change clothes, bathe, bow their head, and never pronounce the name with their lips. They wouldn't even write it. They would only write the consonants, Y-H-V-H. That's why we don't know if you pronounce it Yahweh, Jehovah, we don't know. Most scholars believe it's Yahweh. That form of the name of God, YHVH, is called the tetragrammaton, only consonants. That's how holy. So we've got to understand the mind of the Hebrew in terms of the Word of God. Now, the Jewish Gnostic philosopher Philo at Alexandria used the Logos as the thought of God stamped on the universe, denoting the superhuman medium of communication between God and the universe. The Logos, he said, was the priest that set the soul of man before God. But being a Gnostic, he could never envision or conceive that the Logos could become incarnate because you know that the Gnostics believed that matter was evil, spirit was good, and one could not have anything to do with the other. That's why they taught that Jesus Christ received his deity at the baptism and had left him prior to the cross 
so really you have only a man dying. They even had stories that, uh, whether it's the Serentian Gnostics or the other ones, uh, that, you know, he didn't leave any footprints and he was only a phantom and all kinds of different junk. And they were emanations that went out from God and, and the emanation went out so far from God that one of the evil ones, one of them turned and became evil and they were responsible for the matter in the world. I mean, some weird stuff, you know what I mean? He lived 20 B.C. to 50 A.D. Now, the Greek influence in the life of Philo was largely of Plato, who believed that the Logos was an, only another name for the mind of God. And so the seat of eternal ideas, while the Stoics, and you know the Stoics are those who just accept everything as it is, they're real somber, and no matter what happens, they say, well, that's the way it is, and God will have his way. Real somber, you know, they just real negative, real determinist. To them, it represented the anima mundi or the animating principle of the universe, conceived as impersonal in accordance with their pantheistic views. So the views of these individuals was not a real personal, intimate one. God was far removed. Now, John uses the term logos to identify and describe the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal God who became incarnate to die for the sins of the world as the Savior of the world, that in believing in him, man could have eternal life in his name. There is no doubt on how he uses the term. He's the only one in the New Testament. Sometimes theologians and critics begin to argue whether John used the Targums or the Greek concept of Logos. But let it be known that John is revealing Jesus as the Logos of God from all eternity, who was God himself, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he is not using one or the other. Yet he is very aware of the knowledge of the term. And God, by the Spirit of God, uses this term to give the proper view, perspective, and definition of it. Another concept is that John wrote John's, in his gospel, to correct or supplement the first three synoptic gospel. That is not the purpose of John's gospel, as you know, and we will see tonight in our introduction. Yet each gospel in itself is an entire message with a purpose and a design and an audience. And yet, by the very nature of their inspiration, each will complement at times. But God didn't give us one gospel. He gave us four gospels. So read them and accept them as individual gospels. And yet, each will help the other. But the purpose of their being written is not to correct others, for there's no need for correction. There are no mistakes. Now, there are three ways in which John represents the Logos here in the opening verses, which form one unit from verse 1 to 5. In verse 1 and 2, you have the word and eternity. In verse 3, you have the word and creation. And in verse 4 and 5, you have the word and salvation. Very simple outline. 
We want to look at four things regarding the word and eternity in verses 1 and 2. Let me read you the first two verses, and then I will give you the four points. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Four things we want to look at. First, the first portion of verse 1, the word existed before time, the logos. In the beginning was the word. Secondly, the word existed with God before time, but was distinct from God. And the word was with God. Then thirdly, the word existed as God before time. And the word was God. And then fourth and last, verse 2. The word existed with God in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. Now, let's look at the first regarding the word in eternity. First, the word existed before time. First portion of verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Notice the word logos. That was in the beginning, according to John, is no other than the person of Jesus Christ. The word is used as reason, remember, thought, and audible speech throughout the scriptures also. If you get a concordance, look it up. The other times, that's exactly how it's used. The word is used exclusively of John, as I've given you those passages and here in verse, verse 1, verse 14, and 1 John 1, 1, and Revelation 19, 13. The beginning in John here, 1, 1, is different from the beginning in Genesis. You need to understand that, okay? In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, back in Genesis, time began to exist in its threefold dimension as we know it, past, present, and future. But if you really stop and think about when time began in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it had to begin with present. Then it had to go to past and future. You can't start in the past. You got to start in the present. And then the present becomes past. And from the present, you look to the future. But that's a whole different matter. <laughs> now, in that beginning, a day was composed of 24 hours, a week of seven days, a month of four weeks, and so on and so forth. The time continuum of man began as we know it in Genesis 1.1. The beginning of time came after the Logos. The Logos was already there in the beginning. You need to understand that. Notice the word was. In the beginning was the word. It is in the imperfect durative sense that they call. And it implies continuous existing, reaching back from the point of the beginning. In the beginning was. He was there already when time began and it's reaching back. Genesis is pointing forward. There's a difference. Now the proclamation is a statement of fact. Have you observed that? Regarding the pre-existence of the Logos prior to time. 
I am always amazed at the scriptures where God proclaims facts and he doesn't seek to prove them. He's not biting his nails. He's not intimidated by arrogant man. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Boom. That's it. He doesn't care. It's not a problem to God. The problem is mine. I either have to believe it or reject it. One of the two. The Genesis record, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, as we have pointed out, marks the beginning of time as man knows it. Prior to that, it was a timeless eternity. Just as we look to the book of Revelation after the millennial kingdom, we have timeless eternity again. How interesting. And in between both timeless eternity, you have man's time continuum. Now, here we are with a limited mind trying to understand unlimited things with a concept of time that runs linear attempting to understand time that stands still. Well, you'd have a better chance driving a car that can only do 50 trying to do 100. And that's where our dependence on God and our trust in God and His character steps in. Very important. The record of John literally says, in beginning was the word. You see, the article is not present before the word beginning. No article there. So here you have it in your English, in the beginning. But the Greek manuscript says, in beginning was the word. It goes back earlier than the Genesis record to the timeless eternity before time, as I said. So right away when we read John 1.1, we think of Genesis. And that's not wrong in itself. I think John here is making a parallel, but not an exact parallel because the beginnings point two different directions. It's important. Now, the record of John is not teaching that the word came to be what he is at a certain point in time, as some would have us to believe, to refute what it's trying to teach. The tense of the word does not allow that interpretation. It says, in the beginning, was. Was means you were there. You don't walk into a room and somebody says, uh, where are you? And you say, well, I was here when you weren't there. You say, I'm here. I just arrived. But when you say, I was here, that means you were here prior to the fact. That's very important. Now, notice the pre-existence of the word logos, as well as the fact that the logos was and is eternal, is a consistent record of Scripture. Allow me to call some witnesses to the stand. We're all familiar with court cases. Now listen to the witnesses, okay? The mouth of the prophet Micah prophesies about the birth of the Messiah, that it would be in Bethlehem. And he says regarding the Messiah to come, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting, which literally means from the days of eternity or from the vanishing point to the vanishing point, Micah 5.2. From the vanishing point to the vanishing point. You think back as far as you can think in your own life. As far as you can think in childhood. The earliest memories you have. Now think them back 
trillion years behind that. You haven't even started. The vanishing point. <laughs> the second witness is that of John the Baptist. John the Baptist himself gives a witness about Jesus Christ. In, in chapter 1 here, verse 15, he says that the one coming after him was, in fact, ranked higher than him and, in fact, existed before him. Listen to what he says, verse 15 of chapter 1. John bore witness of him and cried out. Him speaks of Christ, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. Preferred before me means he's considered of higher rank than me. And then he says, For he was before me. Well, wait a minute, John. You're six months older than Jesus. And he wasn't six months premature. How could he be before you? The only explanation is the obvious truth that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Logos, the one, the eternal one, who has preexisted before time began as we know it. It's very simple. John gives witness to the statement of the preexistence of Christ. The testimony of John in the book of Revelation is that Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, Revelation 1.8. A description that is given to the Father in the Old Testament is given to the Son. A vivid description of his eternal existence. In fact, John says his name is the Logos of God in Revelation 19.13. His name is the Word of God. The third and last witness will be Jesus himself. He is not afraid to take the stand. He takes the stand. He tells the truth. He verifies his own preexistence and eternal existence, knowing he is God and he cannot lie. He knows his testimony is true. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8, 56 and 58, as they rejected him as being their Messiah, listen to the words. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and he was glad. And when he said this, they said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus responded to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. The very same I am that spoke to Moses on the mount. Must have blown their minds, huh? <laughs> Jesus praying to the Father in John 17, 5. He says, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. In that statement, he clearly refers to his pre-existence before the creation and eternal equality with the Father in John 17, 5. These are but a few that we will be looking at through the gospel. There would not be enough time this morning to trace out all the scriptures just on this point. And so, the word, the Logos, existed before time. 
It's the first thing he tells about the Word and eternity. Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up our time together today, illustrating the simple truths we find right at the beginning of the Gospel of John and the assurance through Scripture of the deity of Jesus Christ. And as Pastor Xavier said at the beginning of today's study, there is so much to this message of the person of Jesus. We'll be continuing this study next time we're together. So if you don't think you can be with us, you may be interested in your own copy of this message titled, The Eternal Lagos. Everything you heard today and what we have planned for next time will all be included on the CD titled, The Eternal Lagos. Let us send you a copy for the small cost of just $4. By the way, this is also a great way to pass along this teaching to others you know. Once again, the title is The Eternal Lagos, yours for including just $4 when you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please let us know the call letters of this station when you do. Next time, Pastor Xavier continues the simple truths concerning the deity and eternity of the Lagos, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Hope you'll be back then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 